Um, so today, the first day, the first Sunday of the new year, we're beginning a new series. And I realized at first service that I never told anybody that we were starting a new service. So if you run into anybody from first service, let them know. We're starting a series um, this quarter, actually. We're talking about the Father Heart. The whole year we're going to actually cover all of the core values of New Day Community Church that are wrapped up in the, the FIRE acronym. That's the Father Heart, Intimacy, Restoration, and Extending the Kingdom or Evangelism, or as Cameron says, everything else. So we're going to be talking about everything over the next year. And today, this month, we're really focusing on who is the Father. And my message, it really is about the Father. So just stick with me. All right? It really is about the Father. And it's this idea of, we're asking this month, is who is the Father? And the Father is the Creator who is looking for a people. He is looking for a people to have relationship. And what I want to talk about today is this idea that individualism and consumerism has permeated our culture and it has permeated our churches. And so we've come to believe this kind of reduced gospel that everything that Jesus did, everything that the Father has done is for me. Everything is about me. Jesus' death and resurrection was for me. And the Father's, all of this creation is for me. And the, the restoration of the kingdom is for me. And I think that, in a sense, yes. Yes, those things are true. And we have to have individual relationships with the Father. We need to make a personal and intimate connection with Jesus. We need to become Christ followers and live that out in our lives. But when we make that the end. Like, I am now a Christ follower. I am now saved. I am going to bunker down and wait until I get to heaven. And now, I, I just need to push through this age. I just need to push through this eternity until I can get to heaven. And the reality that I'm hoping to convey this morning is that we have become Christ followers. We have been saved. We have all the benefits that salvation brings. Forgiveness and new life and new hope and uh, a hope for eternity. We have all those benefits, but those aren't the ends. Those are the beginning that draws us into a deeper story. A story that God has been telling from all of eternity, from the beginning of creation, and we will see that summed up when Jesus comes back in his second coming in what is called the consummation, when we are restored into perfect harmony, when creation has been made new again. And so I think that the idea here is that God is looking for community and that we were created for community. We see throughout the, the Bible, the church, the gathering of Christ followers is referred to as a body. All right? And we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And sometimes we kind of confuse this to think that I personally am the bride of Christ. It is all about me. And Jesus died for me. And if you... you just bear with me for a minute. I know I'm going against the grain here. So, it's about me. But I, when I grew up, I wanted to, to get married. I wanted to have a wife. And I wanted Amber to be my wife. And 
she is my bride. But if you just cut off her little finger and I got to marry her little finger, there would be something missing. There would be a lack. And I am really excited about Amber's little fingers and her ears and her nose and her feet. I love all of Amber. But it's when the whole body is put together in perfect harmony. Like that is what the Father is looking for. He's looking for us as a church to live in perfect fellowship with each other so that we can fully become, we can fully bloom into the bride of Christ that he is passionately and excitedly looking for relationship for. We were created for fellowship. Yet many of us try to find fulfillment and completion from individualism and consumerism. You know, we live by the code, what's in it for me? You know, our motto is often look out for number one, and we all know that number one is ourselves. And our culture preaches this individualism and this consumerism day in and day out. And one recent study estimates that every man, woman, and child in the United States is exposed to 16,000 commercial messages um, every single day. Every single day, we are inundated with what the culture is selling us. And they're selling individualism. And I have a definition, so we all are on the same page here. Uh, a scientist by the name of Geert Hofstede, he defines individualism as, uh, individualism pertains to societies in which the ties between individuals are loose. Everyone is expected to look after him or herself and his or her immediate family. I don't think it's difficult to see that as uh, Americans, our American culture is incredibly individualistic as we all tend to look out for ourselves and look out for only those closest to us. And we can see consumerism running rampant in our culture. And a gentleman by the name of Roger Swagler defines it as the selfish and frivolous collecting of products or economic materialism. This idea that we're all just looking to fill this need in our heart and we do it by trying to get more stuff. And we're told that our ultimate purpose, right, is to be happy and that being happy means getting stuff and looking out for ourselves. But our culture has stripped out how happiness is actually found. And I believe that our culture has actually redefined what happiness is. We're told that our ultimate purpose is about achieving happiness, and we're told that happiness looks like a beer commercial. You know, it looks like these beautiful people that are surrounded by beautiful people that are always right on the cusp of doing something incredibly exciting, right? And they're happy, they're always happy, and they always have the snappy thing to say, and everything is great in a beer commercial. And then we're also told that happiness is in, the new, in a new car or a new TV or it's in a, a bigger house or, or whatever. Or myself, I, I unfortunately have this archaic iPhone 4. And I ha not even a 4S. It's literally got 8 gigabytes of memory on it or whatever. You know, it's, small, it's the smallest of the old phones. And my poor phone... The, I mean, sure, it allows me to communicate with anybody in the world at, at a moment's notice. And, and sure, I can look up any information on the web at any moment, any time. But sometimes it takes nearly five, seven seconds for those web pages to open. Yeah, it's, it's archaic and it's difficult. And I really believe 
that if I could achieve the iPhone 5, if I could get the iPhone 5S, then I would be happy. Am I right, Tori? Is it, it, does, it does work. Ugh, it's awkward. Well, I think there might be more. So, but we come to believe that because of social media and because of commercials and TV shows, movies and music, that everyone else besides us is living this high life. They have achieved this fulfillment that we are longing for. Everyone else around us is happy. Everyone else seems to have it together. Nobody posts some sorrowful picture on Facebook of them and their wife with a caption that says, on my way to marriage counseling. You know, that just doesn't, that doesn't happen. And so we have this, this expectation that everybody else's lives are gloriously put together. And we focus on all of these other people's high points, all of their mountaintops, all of these great family get-togethers. You know, we've looked at a lot of people's Christmases, and we're like, man, I don't remember my Christmas looking so jolly. Like, there were good parts, I guess, but man, that, like, that's the perfect Christmas. And like, we always kind of focus on our valleys. Yeah, that was a great Christmas. Good, that's right. Thank you. And so we always kind of look at our valleys. We look at the stuff that's going wrong around us. And yet when we look out and we see everybody else's mountaintops, we see all of this glory happening on TV and on Facebook and everywhere else, everyone seems to have it together. And so we retreat. You know, we retreat into individualism thinking that, man, I need to meet my needs because everybody else is happy and nobody else is going to meet this need for me and I need to work my way together and get this put together so I can be fulfilled, so that I can be happy. We retreat into consumerism thinking that if I, man, I'm depressed, I'm sad, maybe I just, maybe I do need that new car. I don't know anything about cars. Maybe I do need that new phone. Maybe I do need that new laptop or tablet or whatever. Maybe that's what I'm missing because the people on TV sure seem happy to have that stuff. And we are tied into this vicious cycle of individualism and consumerism that just really leaves us sadder and more depressed and more unhappy. But our loving Father has a different plan. He has a different purpose of how you and I can achieve happiness, how we can achieve fulfillment, how we can achieve the fullness of life that Jesus promises us. I, I, my favorite verse is John 10.10, 10, and it's not in my notes, but it says that Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life, and life more abundantly, or life to the full. See, Jesus doesn't want us just scraping by and just like pursuing our own needs and, and trying to be happy in our own selves. He wants us to be fulfilled. He wants us to be happy. But He has a plan and He has a purpose and He has a way that the Father created for us to find that happiness, for us to find that fulfillment. And so today, what I want to talk about is we're going to look at pre-fall creation and we're going to try to get an idea of what God's intentions were for mankind and see if we can find a clue for how God intended mankind living in fellowship with him can find fulfillment. Okay? So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So if you want to turn there, it says... Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, 
in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so we see here in this picture, and we're also going to look at some verses in chapter 2 of Genesis in a minute, that we see that God is creating the world. He is speaking everything into existence. The fall, the sin has not entered in until chapter 3. And so we see this perfect creation. And in Genesis 1:26 it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our likeness. And we see that mankind was created in God's image. And I believe that one aspect of that image is that we were created in community. When the, when the Bible says, God said, let us make mankind in our likeness, we have the assumption that that is the Father and that is Jesus and that is the Holy Spirit working together to bring creation about. They are working together and the pinnacle of their creation is mankind. And they say, let's make man in our own image. And part of that image is this community. We were created to live in community, just like the Trinity is always in community. And there is a theologian by the name of Michael Horton who says this. I'm going to read a quote from his uh, systematic theology book. It says, To be created in God's image is to be called persons in communion. There was no moment when a human being was actually a solitary, autonomous, unrelated entity. Self-consciousness always included consciousness of one's relation to God, to each other, and to one's place in the wider created environment. And that koinonia, or communion, consists originally in the covenant of creation, in which all humanity participates in Adam as its representative. And so to try to kind of condense what all that means, is that Adam was created in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship with God. It says that there was no moment when a human being was actually a solitary, autonomous, unrelated entity. There was never a time when Adam was just out there alone trying to scramble his way to the top. He was always in harmony, in perfect relationship with the Father from his creation. He was chosen by God. He was created by God and he lived in that harmony of relationship. But we see as we continue on the story that fellowship with God was not enough. Okay, let's look at Genesis 2, verse 8. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so in there we see that the trees were pleasing to the eye and they were good for food. And that wasn't just for God. God didn't need food. He created the garden. He created creation for man to enjoy. And he created him in relationship with God. And so we see this beautiful relationship between God and the man, God and Adam, and Adam and creation. Everything is working perfectly. There is no sin. There is nothing to detract from these relationships. 
And we also see that God put the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And the purpose of that is because that God wasn't merely looking for Adam to be obedient. He wasn't merely looking for somebody that could kind of take care of this garden while God went over and maybe did some other creation stuff or whatever it is that God does on his downtime. You know, he, he created Adam and he created mankind because he longed to have relationship with him. He wanted to have relationship and intimacy and community with the man. And then in Genesis 2.15 it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. So he, uh, he is working the garden. Everything's fine. Everything's good here. Anyway, so Genesis 2.18, this is where I was going. It is not good for the man to be alone, God says. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so what we find is mankind is in perfect creation. He is in perfect relationship with all of creation. He's working it. He's taking care of the garden. And mankind is also in perfect relationship with God. My assumption is that God was probably, during this time, he would walk the garden like we see him doing in Genesis 3, that God would come and have relationship and spend time with Adam because that was the purpose. He was created for community. All right? But God says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And God's purpose in creation could not be met without relationships with other people. Like, and that is significant. It is not enough that we have a perfect relationship with God. It's important that we have great relationships with each other. God created us to live in community. And fellowship with God and mankind and creation are so important that even removing one, you know, we see here that he was removed from perfect relationship with others, is not good. And so God created mankind. And we see that after Eve was created and they were brought together and they were fruitful and multiplied, it's in that that God says, now this is good. Now they have relationship with each other and they have relationship with me and they have relationship with creation. Isn't this wonderful? And we see this idea that God created man to be happy and complete and fulfilled on this earth. Eden, friends, was here. Creation. This is creation. We are where God created us and we are where God put us on purpose. All right? And... God did not create man so that he could one day live with God in heaven. He created man to be in fellowship, in relationship with him and other people in creation right now. He created us on purpose to live in relationship with him and mankind right now. Life here on this planet is what we were created for. All right? And we often, and myself included, often look forward to just getting away from this sinful, horrible place so that we can be in heaven with the Father and everything is going to be great. All right? But I think that that devalues the importance of what we are living in the midst of. We are living in creation. We are living in community. And we are living in relationship with God. And one day, I know that all of it got messed up because... Mark, if you read just a few verses later in chapter 3, everything gets messed up and the world is destroyed and everything's sad from now on. And now we're just scrambling by so that we can get to heaven. 
I think that that's not the whole story. I think that we can enjoy this life right now, and I think that we are supposed to do it, and we can do it if we live the way that God has created us to live. And you see, you and I, as Christ followers, can enter into this fulfilled relationship right now. Because of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, you and I have been transported, in a sense, from this current evil age that's full of sin and sickness and destruction, and we have been made new. We are new creations. And that doesn't mean that I... It's not just me. I, in my own self, am a new creation, which is in part true. It is true. It's not even in part true. It is completely true. But there's a bigger aspect of it, is that when we are created as new creations, when we believe in Jesus, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are transported into a new age, into the kingdom age, where the, where Jesus reigns and where the ethics and the morality of the kingdom reign in our lives. And so now we are new creations living in perfect relationship with our Father God because of the work of Jesus. We can now have complete access to the Father. We are filled with the Spirit and we can commune with Jesus. We are back in perfect relationship with Him. Even in as we as a as a community, as individuals live in this new creation, but yet we still find ourselves over here in that old age, the sinful, evil age. The sinful, evil age. All right? And we, as new creations, in community, in relationship with each other, I believe that there is some aspect of that, some aspect of us living in perfect relationship in this new kingdom in the midst of a of the old age that brings out the light, that brings the gospel into all the world. It is in relationship, restored relationship, that we are able to be the salt and the light that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. We are able to be that salt and light. We are able to bring the kingdom into our own lives and spread it into this evil age. Because we all know that this age is messed up. We can tell that Jesus isn't reigning in fullness yet because there's still sin and there's still darkness and there's still sadness and there's still incredibly difficult things that we have to deal with. And yet, in the midst of all that, in the midst of all that, we can access these relationships and the values and the the stuff of heaven, and we can bring it down into our lives. And we can find fulfillment. And we can find happiness. And we can find peace in the midst of this evil age. And I think that a huge aspect of that is living corporately together and loving and serving one another. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about the importance of our individual relationship with God. And that is incredibly valid, incredibly important. But I think that it, we need to widen our idea of what it means to be in the kingdom. The kingdom isn't just about me and Jesus, though that is important. I hope that I'm not offending anybody. It is important. That is really important. But there's more. There is a family here. There is a community here. And in the beginning, God said, it wasn't good for man just to have perfect relationship with me. That, that in itself is good. That's one aspect of good. But he's missing something. 
And it was only fulfilled when he was in perfect relationship with mankind. And I think that one result of sin that happened in Genesis 3 and has continued on until today, one result of that sin that flies in the face of the Father's desire for fellowship, that this sin that has permeated our culture and our churches is this individualism, this idea that everything is about ourselves. And like we mentioned earlier, you know, culture teaches us that we have to look out for number one. And the explosion of consumerism in our culture, I think, is just partly there. It is part of this desire to satisfy ourselves all of the time. And in the book Stormfront, there's a quote. They talk about consumerism in that book. It's very interesting. Um, He says that most of us no longer consume to live. We live to consume. Our lives are orchestrated around habits of consumption that no longer serve any higher purpose, but which have become an end in themselves, to be desired for their own sake. These habits in turn transform our relationships with other people as friendships and even marriages are entertained around the question of meeting our personal needs. And we can see this. I see it in my life. We can see it in the culture all around us that this consumerism, even in our relationships, becomes everything is about me. Everything is about what can I get out of it. And it is destroying our relationships as we see it all as a means to our own wants and desires. And I think that individualism and consumerism have never been part of God's plan. Adam wasn't created just to satisfy his own desires. He was created to be in relationships, submitted to God, submitted to mankind, and submitted to creation. And this is a kingdom ethic that flies in the face of what the world is selling us. We are told in the culture to look out for number one, and you have to achieve your own desires. And anytime somebody else is happy, it comes at the expense of yours. So if somebody else gets a new car or a new house or a promotion or a raise, they are somehow stealing something from you. And so you better work hard and hold on to everything that you can get because nobody else is going to take care of you. And it's this idea that we all have to take care of ourselves and God cannot be trusted because it, it just doesn't make sense. Because God's kingdom ethic calls us to lay our own lives down and to serve other people. That's crazy. How am I ever going to get an iPhone 5 if I'm giving to the church or if I'm helping other people out? I need that phone. I'm on Verizon if anybody wants. Anyway, just throwing it out there. Um, we were going somewhere. Stick with me. Um, we're supposed to be submitted, submitted to, to each other. And we find, even though it flies in the face of culture, that when we submit to one another, our relationships are better. When Amber and I are both looking out for number one, we're both trying to meet our own needs. We, we see ourselves separating and pulling away from each other. And we see that, oh, she's just getting in the way. Like, I really want this, or I want to do that, and she's just in my way. But when we, when we submit to each other, when we love each other, when we give ourselves 
to each other. We find that the relationship blossoms and increases, and we find that there is a fulfillment and a purpose in that relationship that is never found when we are seeking out our own desires. And so we are called to live in fellowship with each other, to submit to each other, to love each other, to help each other. And the Father, His heart, see I told you it's all about the Father, the Father's heart is for us to live in these perfect relationships. His desire is for us to live in great relationships with Him and with each other. And even in the Old Testament, sometimes we get this idea that God was this big meanie that was always crushing and smiting and killing people. But really, if we really read the Old Testament, we see that this God, this Father of all creation, is looking for a people. He's looking to gather a people together who can be His people, who can be His own. He wants to have relationships. You know, even when God called Abraham in Genesis 12, you know, it wasn't like, Abraham, I think you're so great. I love you. I'm just going to spend some time with you. But he, he saves Abraham, and Abraham gets the benefits of salvation. But the purpose of that salvation wasn't just for Abraham. It was so that he and his descendants could be a blessing to the entire world. It's not just about individuals. God has a much bigger picture. It's about this community. It's about all of the Christ followers, the believers in Jesus, being a family, being a gathering of people living together well in perfect relationship with each other. And so when we live out of the old age, when we uh, gossip or when we kind of, uh, you know, don't forgive people or we are angry or we live out of all this old age, this sinful stuff, and we try to bring that into this community. We see destruction happen. But when we live out of the kingdom and we bring into this community, we bring the Father's ethics of of love and service and submission, we see fulfillment happen. We see life happen in in our own midst. In this community, we see life happen. And God was so passionate about people living together well, having great relationships with each other, and having great relationships with God, that he wrote it into the law of the Old Testament. We see in Leviticus, there are five basic offerings. And one of those five offerings that we see in Leviticus 3, 4, and 5 are, I think it's in there, it's in the beginning somewhere in Leviticus, there's these five basic offerings, and one of them was a fellowship offering. And this was an offering that was all about communion with God. This was not the sin offering. This was not the offering that the Israelites used to deal with their sin. This was purely an offering where they celebrated what God had done, where they celebrated what God was going to do, and they celebrated the ability to live in right relationship with God. And so as we as we kind of look into this offering and this sacrifice and what it entailed, it's really interesting because we see the worshiper would come and they would bring their sacrifice, an animal of some sort, a perfect spotless animal. They would bring it to the priest and the priest would kill it and splash some blood somewhere and then they would split it up and they would cook it. Right? And so they would cook this sacrifice and then what happened was that the priest and the worshiper, and the other participants in this sacrifice would eat a meal together. So God was creating in the law this opportunity to come together, 
because it was valuable to him that people live in close relationship with him. And it was important that they lived in close relationship with others. It was a community. That is what he was passionate about. That is what he was longing for. And this morning, all of us partook in the fulfillment of this Levitical sacrifice. As we partook of communion together, as we came together as a community, we luckily didn't have to bring some animal, and I luckily didn't have to slaughter it and cook it this morning, but we got to take the, the sacrifice of Jesus. And it was his blood and his body sacrificed for us. And we, as a community, came together to partake of that meal together. And it's not just about, oh, Jesus died for me, which is true. It's Jesus died for all of us. And we are in this together. And it's only as we partake in the sacrifice of Jesus, as we enter into the new kingdom, as we enjoy relationship with each other, that we are able to war against the ideas of individualism and consumerism that so permeate this culture and have even made their way into our churches. That it's all about me. No, it's all about us. It's all about us as the body of Christ. We are in this together. And God is looking for a community of people. And we are that community. And we, when we serve each other, and this church is amazing. It's so good. We see community happening all over the place. We see people serving. Every Sunday morning, there's so many people serving. And we see groups of people and uh, you know, life groups and the dwell community. We see all this community happening. And we are great at it. But even myself, I withdraw from it. There's something in me. There's this sinful side of me that is feeling like, man, if I pour out too much, I'm going to lose. I'm going to be on the losing end of that. As I pour out love, who's going to love me? You know, and I don't want to get taken advantage of. And so I need to take care of myself. And, that, and when that permeates our culture, when that permeates the church, and it's, it's easy for us to do that, then we don't find the fulfillment and the life and the liberty and the joy that we are supposed to have when we come together and we partake of the sacrifice of Jesus and we live in community with each other. And so today, if you take anything away, there's just a couple of points that we talked about. We talked about God created us to live in relationship with himself, to live in relationship with mankind and live in relationship with all of creation. We're here to enjoy it. But sin messed up all of those relationships. Jesus' sacrifice, however, restored us in every way. And we are now living in the kingdom right now, even in this not-yet world. And finally, the Father did not let anything get in the way of restoring that relationship. He sent Jesus to die for you and to die for me. And as we partake of the benefits of that sacrifice, it draws us into a much bigger story. And in that story, I think that we will find peace and happiness as we submit to God and as we live in right relationship with Him and with mankind in this community and with all of creation. Thank you. Thank you, Mark.